Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for being here today. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to say a rousing thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has already ordered The Sicilian Inheritance. I love this book. I love this novel so much. People keep saying it's going to be the book of the summer, but that's only going to happen because of all of you. Because so many of you have ordered it. So many of you have already invited me to come to your book clubs. I'm zooming into book clubs. I'll be making cannoli. I'll teach you how to make cannoli. And so many of you have taken me up on my offer of a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter over the influence when you order the book. That is a thing that is happening. When you order The Sicilian Inheritance and you send me your receipt, I automatically add you for life to our newsletter, to our coven. And I love this coven. I'm obsessed with this coven. Okay, that's it. That's my mad marketing spiel for today. We have an incredible episode for you. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about using kids as content in social media and where that line should be drawn. We've also talked about mothers posting pictures of their sick kids to get attention. But, 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 there's always a but here, isn't there? There is another side of this. There is. What if your child had a rare disease? And one of the only ways that you could get the medical establishment to take notice was to post about it. What would you do? It's an impossible question. And it's one Amanda Byerly has been faced with. Last November, Amanda took her daughter, Elin, to go see an ophthalmologist. Her left eye was starting to float a little bit. They went in that morning thinking that Elin was either going to need glasses or maybe an eye patch to help strengthen the weaker eye. They left the doctor that morning with a retinal dystrophy diagnosis, meaning that Elin would eventually go blind. Over the next few months, they found out that Elin has a rare dystrophy disease. And because it's so rare, there's not a lot of funding for it. So it is essentially up to the parents to fund research and ultimately to find a cure. And so Amanda has been posting on Instagram. Because for better or worse, social media is a place where we can scream at the top of our lungs about the things that we need. Amanda will do anything for her daughter. And right now, what she's doing is speaking out on social media to try to get to a cure. But it's tricky. It's always tricky. And she has to draw new boundaries for herself every day about the things she should share to help educate people about Elon's disease and the things that might cross a line and invade Elon's privacy. My name is Amanda. I have two little girls. Uh, one's five and a half and one's two and a half. Um, they're read at three years apart. So talk to me. Tell me your story from the beginning. Um, so we um, were just normal, average family. <laughs> Nothing special. Um, you know, my husband and I, we're raising daughters, working, um, all the things. and. Um, my older daughter, um, I guess it was sort of in May, we noticed that her eye was starting to turn in a little bit, just ever so slightly. Um, we ended up getting her an appointment um, at our local ophthalmologist office where they have a pediatric ophthalmologist. And um, they realized, yeah, she has something called accommodative esotropia, where when she's focusing on something, um, she is farsighted. So seeing up close is a little bit harder. When she focuses on something, her little eye turns in. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were able to correct that with glasses. We kept it moving. Everything was fine. Uh, but I noticed over the summer that Elans was doing it as well. And um, we got her in and um, the appointment was going great. Wonderful. Everything was fine. Um, they did notice, yeah, she's definitely got this as well. Um, then we got in there to see the actual ophthalmologist and uh, everything was great. She had prescribed her with glasses, said she thinks that would take care of it. And then she looked in her eyes. And when she looked in her eyes, um, you know, I think they're trained to keep a poker face, but she looked like she had just seen a ghost. And um, yeah, and I knew immediately something was really, really wrong. And she said, she may have a retinal dystrophy. You need to go to imaging right now. Um, We're going to get that set up for you within the same um, office. And then I can either have you wait or we can call you and let you know what we see on the images. At that point, we had been there for like three and a half hours. So I said, let's just do the imaging and go and you can call us in the car. And so she did, uh, they did the imaging. We ate some lunch and then they called us in the car and said, yes, um, we think she has a retinal dystrophy. The protocol here is to get her in for genetic testing and uh, to a retinal disease specialist to see her there. Um, and of course, I was already had been on Google and figured out like dystrophy means bad. It means the cells are degenerating or wasting away in her eyes. Um, so I knew blindness and we just didn't know what, you know, you get on there and suddenly you get on the internet and you realize a disease I never even knew existed. Um, there's so many different ways, like different genes that it can be affected, you know, that cause this sort of thing. And, and so really we were just left in the dark for a while until we could get into it to see the genetics and then to see the retinal disease specialist. Um, but I mean, you know, we went from having a normal two and a half year old daughter. I had never suspected anything, anything, never suspected. She just couldn't see ever um, to realizing, you know, within moments time during an appointment, you may have a child who has not just a disability, but a severe disability. Wow. Wow. I mean, I think it is every parent's nightmare. It, I right. mean, it is. I know. Yes. I I know that it's every parent's nightmare. We so often take health for granted. Yes. Um, and that in the blink of an eye with one doctor's appointment, it can all change. And I'm I'm way more chill with with my third baby now. But I will say every weird bump, every weird headache, every puke in the night, I'm like, oh my God, is it cancer? Is it looking right? Dead? Like right. We are like, you know, as as parents, I think that we're trained to think like that. What were the what were the conversations that you and your husband were having at this point? Um, we were devastated, um, and you know, so when they told us that we were, we were being referred for genetics, the doctor at the ophthalmologist's office said, "You know, this is going to take a while. It typically typically takes six months to a year to get in for genetics. Um, mm-hmm. So just be prepared for that. The same thing with the specialist. Um, it'll probably be a really long time before you get in." And I remember we both looked at each other and we were at that point talking with her on speakerphone. And my husband says, we can't wait that long to know exactly what is wrong with our child. And, and, and I know she didn't mean it in any type of way, but she said, well, with what she has, it doesn't really matter. And, and I, we looked at each other and we thought, well, no, it does matter to us. And, you know, this, mm-hmm. is, this was November 27th when she went to the doctor. You know, it was the holiday season, a time that, you know, you're just supposed to be so happy and excited to spend that time with your family. And I mean, I can tell you it was the worst time in our lives. Um, but we decided we weren't going to accept that. And so mm-hmm. we were scheduled to see a geneticist um, in, in April. 
Okay. But we mm-hmm. decided that wasn't going to work. And so yep. my husband called every single day to get her in. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, there happened to be a cancellation one day. So we got her in in record time. And then the same thing with... So how, with, fa- so how fast was that? So um, it was the... It was before Christmas, I think December, okay. I want to say, yeah, December 16th. So record time, record time, record like time. unbelievable, unheard of. And then um, the same what thing. Con- with- what constant, what constantly breaks my brain is that it is possible. It is always possible. Right. But, but within, I mean, our medical system is broken uh, in so many ways. It's filled with incredible doctors and nurses and support staff, but the system itself is broken. Yes. And- and for in my own experience with my weird genetic disease, right, I have found that it is always possible, but you have to fight like fucking hell to yes. make it work. Yes. And, and, and that's what we've done ever since. You know, it, it really has been that. And with what she has, you know, a, there's still technically no treatment. There's a lot of things coming down the pipeline. Um, but again, you know, I think sometimes from the outside looking in, if you're not the parent, if you're not the patient, you see it as well. There isn't anything, so there, there really is no sense. You know, it's not time sensitive, but it is to the families and it is to the patients because you know this is our lives. We don't know exactly what's going on with our child. We don't know why suddenly, like her retinal cells are just wasting away. Um, and so, it, it was important to us to get in sooner rather than later. Of course, it was. Of course, yeah. it was because you also never know. So we did get the gen- genetics report back, and um, that was it was maybe a few days before we were supposed to go to Duke, and that in itself is a miracle um, that we were able to be seen and get that before we went into our to see our retinal disease specialist. We had this information, which I felt like was great. You know, it wasn't what we wanted. It did show that she had a genetic mutation on the RDH12 gene, which is associated with early onset um, retinal dystrophy, aka a blinding disease. And, um, but we did have that information. So I feel like at least we have one piece of the puzzle. Now he's going to, you know, look at imaging, do some tests, like, and he'll be able to tell us the other part of this so we can get a firm diagnosis. Um, but I'll tell you when we went in to see him, it was another long appointment with lots of imaging, lots of visual acuity tests, all the things. And then you get to see him at the end. And he, um, said at first, I said, so is this RDH 12? And he said, who told you that? And I said, well, um, we were kind of tipped off at the very first eye appointment that sh- that the doctor there thought it was RDH12. I said, and then, you know, we have this genetics report. For some crazy reason, they didn't have any of the records. They were nothing was sent over to them. So he had just was seeing her without anything prior, didn't have any baseline imaging, didn't have the report. So we sat there and emailed it to him from our phone right there in his office. Um, and he told us very matter of factly that he believed that it was possible that her, um, retinopathy was not due to um, any sort of genetic mutation, but that it was some, could be something much, much, much worse. Um, that it could be what, something what would in be much, yeah, what would be so much, much worse? He, the words he said would, it could, um, it could be systemic. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I was sitting because I had her in my lap and um, she was actually kind of facing in towards me with her head on my shoulder. She had, was over the appointment at that point. And I couldn't even speak. And I, I remember I just said, do you mean something in here? And I just kind of took my hand and went up from down her head and down her body. And he said, yes. So then you think, oh, like, of course, you know, he, scheduled, he 
ordered all these labs, like blood work, uh, kidney function tests, a liver function test. I mean, the whole shebang for everything, testing for everything that she might possibly have. But then, you know, I was reading about cancer-associated retinopathy, um, kidney, kidney failure-associated retinopathy, all these different things that can happen um, when you're, uh, at, you know, that somehow it can affect the back of your eyes. And, and so that was very, 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 very scary, a very scary time. And until we got all that lab work that came back that showed everything was fine, we did think there's a chance that this is way, way, way worse than just her eyes. Right, right, of course. I mean, and that is why the waiting, I mean, the waiting game is terrible for so many reasons. Right. That's one of the reasons. And you're trying to parent two small children living in uncertainty. Right. Which, you know, is is impossible in, in so many ways. So you get the results back. And then what do you learn? So, yeah, everything was fine. He was at first concerned with some of her blood work, um, but he spoke with... Um, Elon's pediatrician about that, and the pediatrician was not concerned um, with that. I think it's just a matter of like you have an ophthalmologist trying to look at some blood work versus you know a pediatrician who's much better, well trained at looking at that side of medical situation. You know, right? And right. and he's like, oh no, I'm actually not worried about that. But then so we had to go back, and she had to go um, under sedation um, to have uh, what they call an ERG, um, where they can like I guess test the activity going on in the back of the eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's when we were given a firm diagnosis. You know, he just came out and the doctor, the retinal disease specialist, you know, she was, I guess, waking up at that point. And he just came out and was like, can I, can I talk with you? And we went into a separate room and he, you know, basically had his head in his hands um, and said, you know, I, I do think this is classic RDH 12, you know, and it, mm -hmm. it, it is one of these things, you know, there are a lot of different inherited retinal diseases. Um, RDH 12 is by far one of the more aggressive ones. Um, meaning that, you know, there's several out there that fall under the umbrella of retinitis pigmentosa, which means, you know, sometimes they don't affect people until they're an adult. And, and, and even then they, they're very slow to progress. This is not one of them. This progresses very quickly. And that's why typically from what I've read and what I've gathered from other parents is that usually by the first decade of the life, these children are legally blind. And by the second decade of their life, they're completely blind. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take a really quick break here. And when, when we get back, I want to talk about your decision to be so public about this journey and this diagnosis. Under the Influence is brought to you by Honey Love. We've talked about Honey Love a lot. I post about Honey Love a lot on my social media. In fact, I posted last week when I wore it to the Madonna concert, along with my sparkly bra. I wore the sparkly bra, and then I wore the Honey Love shorts underneath my pants, but you could see the shorts over the pants, and it looked weirdly sexy, weirdly sexy. Yes, yes, I wear Honey Love to concerts, and I can do that because it is easy to get on and off. Have you ever been in a bathroom at a concert, and people are waiting, and people are mad, and they just want to get back to see Vogue? I adore Honey Love shapewear. I wear it all the time. I wore it in my author photos. It does all of the things I want shapewear to do, but it's actually comfortable. And that is a big, big deal for me. It is. 
Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer feel like you're suffocating inside your shapewear because no one wants that. No one does. Plus, it looks so good. It does. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash influence. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash influence. And after your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Treat yourself to Honeylove because you deserve it. This episode of Under the Influence is sponsored by Greenlight. I've been trying to figure out a way to start teaching my kids about financial responsibility and also about the labor that goes into making money. And when you're a parent, you have your fair share of quote unquote big talks with your kids. And for me, I definitely think that one of those talks has to involve money. And money is different these days than it was when I was growing up in the 80s. A lot of times we don't even see cash money. My kid gets very excited when he sees a real dollar bill in in real life. That is just, that is the epitome of, of, of cool for him, which is very good for me as the tooth fairy, it is. As I've been trying to teach my six-year-old about money, I've been working with Greenlight. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app made for families. I've looked for a lot of different money apps to teach my kids about financial responsibility, and this is one that I actually like. With Greenlight, you can send your kids instant money transfers, get real-time notifications of spending, manage chores, and automate allowance. Six is not too young to be doing this. We started doing an allowance for both the six-year-old and the four-year-old about a year ago, and they already get it. They do, and Greenlight makes it really easy. It helps the kids build financial literacy and independence. They learn how to earn and save and spend wisely. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game called Level Up, which is a lot of fun. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the allowance and the talk about money and put your kids on the right path to financial literacy. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com influence. That is greenlight.com influence to try Greenlight for free greenlight.com slash influence. And we are back. When you reached out to me with this story and, you know, we've, we've done episodes on kids and kids with health crises before, and it, it does divide people about whether or not sharing a child's medical journey is invasive or it's something that parents have to do in order to just break through all of the bureaucratic noise of the healthcare system and to fight because social media is a way to fight for your child. And so ever since we started talking about this, I've been wanting to talk to a parent who has gone through this and who has had to make the decision will I stay private or will I go public with this? What decision did you make? You know, at first, we weren't even sure if we should tell her teachers. We were worried like, well, what are they? I mean, and we love her little school, but we thought, are they going to be worried about her safety and like want to kick her out for that reason? You know, think like we're not equipped 
to handle this. Um, what's really weird about Elon's situation is n- no one would ever know. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just so wild. But either way, we we realized very quickly on this isn't something we're going to be able to hide. Um, this isn't something we're going to be able to um, just, you know, kind of keep, you know, within the family and and that sort of the thing. And then the other part was that we quickly realized that there is um, a lot of emerging treatment um, that are coming that really need a lot more funding. But what we have to do and what these parents before us have done is they started these um, 501c3 foundations and and things like that to be able to raise money, to be able to um, give to different researchers and companies to come up with gene replacement therapy, stem cell therapies, and even just like medications that could possibly help stave off the the retinal degeneration. And so I, we quickly realized like we need to help them raise the money. And how do we do that unless we are very public and very, very loud? And that's what we've done ever since then. We just have to be really loud about it. And, you know, sometimes we feel you know, some type of way about like constantly, you know, saying on our social media, oh, yeah, like if you don't mind, think about donating to this this foundation. Mm. But we don't have a, a choice. You know, we don't have two to three million dollars to just hand over to a, a researcher or, or somebody like that. We have to raise the funds. And the only way we can do that is through social media and different things like that. And we have had a lot of luck with people sharing Elon's story and, and if anything, just spreading awareness that this is an actual thing because prior to Elon's diagnosis, we certainly didn't know anything like this existed. Right. Of course not. Of course not. Most of us don't, right? Right. You, right. Yeah. And most of us do not have the kind of funds necessary to push through this research. Right. Um, and so, no, you should never feel bad about asking people for money. I ask people to order my stupid book every day. <laughs> Please. Uh, ask, ask, ask for all the money. Um, but talk to me about how the decision to share on social media. Did you decide, okay, we're, we're going to do this. We want to be loud. We are going to fight. And frankly, social media is the only soapbox available to us. Right. But did you, did you set boundaries for how much you would share and, and Elon's privacy? Yeah. So um, even the pictures we wanted to show, there was one where it showed her in a little hospital gown. And she, um, that was before she went under anesthesia for the doctor to be able to perform the test. And Grant and I both looked at each other, like, should we show her in that? That feels a little, I don't know, it made us feel some type of way. And so we didn't. And then later we had this wonderful woman um, make a reel for us. And she asked for that particular photo. And I thought, you know, she probably knows this better than we do. And if it's going to get more clicks and it's going to get more shares, give it to her. And so we did, you know, so we, we try to be discerning. Um, we also have a five and a half year old, um, and we had to decide what we were going to tell her and when, and eventually we did just cause she's smart. She's intuitive. She knew something was wrong. And also she suddenly realized that her parents were spending a lot more time working on something and she wasn't sure what that was. And so we had to sit down and have a really hard conversation with her and tell her, this is what the doctor says may happen to Elon. And this is why we are working so hard to fix it. Um, we also want you to come to us if you have any questions or if you're upset or sad about this. 
But also, if we put this on social media, it may be that a parent talks about it in front of another kid and then the kid says something to her, you know. And so we have to protect her because she's innocent in this as well. And so there was a lot that we had to think about, you know, how do we shield her from some of this or do we not shield her at all? Do we want her to feel prepared if another kid does ask her about this and and what to say? And, you know, hopefully she's willing to come to us if she does feel upset about it. or We don't know. Um, but I did think it was sweet. We found out at church the other day that when they were doing their little prayer requests, kids worship, she asked her prayer was that her sister could see. And, you know, so she, kids know more, you know, even if you don't say it directly to them, they learn, they overhear. Um, and you know, part of it is just preparing Nola for these conversations with kids about Elon. Cause you know, we, time is not on our side and there may be a day when Elon needs assistive devices, um, maybe even a cane and, and people are going to ask her anyway. So it's better that we give her those tools and, and we kind of walk through some of that with her. So she's more prepared to answer any questions because other kids don't know. They're innocent, too. They don't know they have questions when anyone is different, no matter what it is. They have no idea. And they love answers. Right. Right. Kids adore knowledge. I mean, I'm of the parenting school. That's probably oversharing, to be honest. But but it's true. I mean, kids, kids want answers and they have questions and they're so curious. And what better time? to fill them with knowledge than when they're a sponge at this age, to be right. honest. Right. So are there any are there any things that you thought about posting and decided, okay, that no, that's a step too far. Like that is that is the boundary for our parent, our 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 family's privacy. You know, I don't think there's been anything that has come up about that since then, just because we we still I feel like the things that we have posted are probably like on a need to know basis. Mm-hmm. Um a, a, basically just telling people, hey, she has this. This is what we're researching money for. Elon's still two and a half. She still does everything super well um, at this point. I imagine, you know, there may be a day when things are a little bit harder for her. And I certainly wouldn't want to maybe share all of that. Or, you know, if she's having a bad day or if she comes home from school and, you know, someone asked her about like, you know, why do you have this? Or why can't you see? Or why do you need to look at the book, you know, right in front of your nose? Or, you know, situations like that. I don't, I don't think that I would want to necessarily share that anyways, but I don't think I, I would in any way, you know? Um, but I guess mm-hmm. more of that's going to come up. We're still so early into this that we don't know. And, and I understand, um, you know, the whole argument that you might not want to just, you know, expose your children and, and, you know, tell everyone about all their personal health information and stuff like that. But this is a disease that people are going to know, you know, they're going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of like the control aspect of being able to say, Hey, this is what she has, but this is what she can still do. Um, and, and I, I think if anything, we're kind of more of the thought that we just continue to tell people all the things that she can do, um, versus, you know, Oh, suddenly now she can't X, Y, and Z. I know there will probably come a day where things become tougher for her, but I don't see us, you know, necessarily shouting that from the moon, uh, mountaintops or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, something people would need to know. Right, right. But but talking about what she what she can do and uh-huh. what and what people with this disease can mm-hmm. do. Right. Uh, I think is a way to break down stigmas around differing abilities, right? Right, right, right. You I mean, even some of the kids that we've learned now that we're in a support group for these 
for it's for parents and patients of you know that have the mutation on the RDH12 gene. You know, it's it amazes me. Um, one of the little girls, she's ten now, and her mom was taking her skiing. You know, um, you know, and she does well, and she just you know was in a swim competition and and things like that. And those are the things that I hope to be able to share with people. You know, I don't need to talk about you know Elon's hard hard days, but I can definitely tell them all the wonderful things that she still does and is able to do. Yeah, of course, of course. What has the community been like since you've been sharing? And what and what has the response been like? It's been amazing. Um, you know, if anything, we have just a lot of people praying for us, which is what we we need most. Um, and because this is really this has the potential to ruin our family, ruin our marriage. You know, it's hard. It's hard on yeah. all sides. Um, but we've we felt very supported. Um We've had a lot of people just reach out to us. You know, one thing, and and I know everyone is well-meaning, but you'll hear, oh, you're so inspiring. And I think, I don't want to be inspiring. <laughs> I want to be completely, totally uninspiring. I don't want anything like this to have happened to my kid for me to have to be inspiring. You know, when it comes to my children, I'd rather it not have happened. Um, and so sometimes that you feel kind of like, oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but I know that's but also, just— But also, how do you respond? Uh, graciously, right. graciously, graciously, you know, thank graciously, with you. grace, with grace. Yes. We always, we always respond with grace. But I, yes. yes, I hear you. You're, you're like, I would prefer not to be inspiring. But thank right. you. Yeah. Yes, that's the biggest thing. Um, but again, we've just and really the community. You know, there's a something called the Foundation um, Fighting Blindness for Finding Blindness, and um, we've learned a lot about what there are some really rock star. Um, doctors and researchers and companies who are working on like treatments every single day. And, you know, even just realizing all that they do and all that they've worked on and the tedious things that they've like worked on for years and years and years to hopefully have a treatment, you know, that to me is like, now that is inspiring, you know, to see that these people working on this. And that's just a whole community that I didn't even know existed. And so that's been fun to like learn about the different doctors and companies and researchers that are, that have devoted their entire lives um, to these rare inherited retinal diseases, which I'm sure there's probably not a lot of accolade and and sort of thing for, but they really are rock stars. With my own journey into rare diseases, because my form of muscular dystrophy, I have F FSH and it's super rare. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Uh, also, I have the gene for it. I have early, early symptoms, but I'm doing great. And it's one of those diseases where you never really know what's going to happen. But the doctors I've met, it's not a fancy disease, right? It's not right. like one of those diseases that gets a lot of attention. Right. Um, and I've been struggling with my own decision of how much to share. Like, I, you know, I mention it sometimes. I do think that it would help, especially women, because we don't hear a lot about a lot of women that have this, um, that it probably would help if I if I shared my story. But I'm still... I'm still figuring that out. And I think that we all have to figure that out for ourselves. Did it feel like a big, a big decision to have to make on Elin's behalf, to share that on her behalf? And like, at what point do you think that she'll understand that, that other people do know her story? Right. Oh, yes. Um, uh, I remember we kind of went back and forth, back and forth about, you know, before we posted it, you know, like, do we say this? And I remember even feeling like I needed to talk with my in-laws, you know, mm -hmm. um, just because did they want, you know, everyone that they know to know what's going on with their granddaughter. And, and you know, years later, is Elon going to be mad that I did this? I hope not. I hope that later she realizes that 
her mom and dad did everything they could right. to help treat her. And yeah. I hope that's what she gets from this. Um, the days of social media are so weird and so tricky. And, you know, I can even watch th- these YouTube families, you know, with my daughter. And I'll watch them and even I'm like, oh, this is a little much. Like the kid falls down and they stick a camera in their face instead of, I don't know, like putting some ointment and a Band-Aid on it. That feels weird and icky to me. Um, this case, one, we're not, we can't hide what's going on with her. And two, it, we do have to be allowed about it. And there may be a time when she's young and she's mad that we did what we did, which I look back and I'm sure there's not any parent who's never had a kid that's not been mad about something and blamed, you know, their entire everything about them that is wrong. Oh, it was because, you know, my parent did X, Y, and Z. But I think that eventually she will know it all came from a good place. And it, it was done to help her. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, all children will despise their parents right. for something. Yes. Yes. What's, yes. what's, what's it going to be? Right. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. I, don't know. I mean, I could make a list of reasons that I despise my mother. Right. Um, and we didn't have social media, okay? We yeah, had a camcorder. Yeah. Yes. We had a camcorder oh, yes. and a Polaroid camera. So, right. yeah. And I, I do think that what Elon will take away is that that you are fighting like hell for her. And the age of social media is weird because this is how we speak to people. This is how we can can fight. This is how we can get our message across. And so I think you... The two of you have have done a beautiful job thinking about boundaries and thinking about privacy and and what to share and how to share. And it's that mindfulness that I think makes all the difference when we're sharing about our children. Right. Like what 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 is what like what it's the why it's the why behind behind doing something um, and the care and the the intense. What is Elon's situation now? Where where are you at right now? So, um, like I said, we're very fortunate that, like, this does not affect her day-to-day right now. And if we hadn't went to that first eye appointment, we still wouldn't know that anything was wrong with her. And I don't mean that. I mean, I am admittedly, and I don't mean this, this is certainly not, you know, this is a character flaw of my own. I would say I'm part helicopter mom, part tiger mom. Um, And so I know when something is wrong with my child. I can you know, fill their back and know if they have a fever. I can smell their breath and know if they're getting sick. I know that's weird, but I can. Um, I am, I pride myself on being very in tune with them. And we never suspected that she had some sort of disease that was slowly eating away at her retinal cells. Um, but there, you know, it, she has lost a lot. Um, we learned that at the, the, the appointment when she went under and, um, so now it's just a matter of securing this treatment for her. Um, the sooner the better. Uh, the gene replacement therapy is probably the most promising. And um, with that, they need so many cells left to be able to participate in it and for it to help them. Um, so we need this replacement therapy like yesterday. I read a lot of stories about very, very rich people who are diagnosed with things or who, whose children are diagnosed with things. And they have the ability right. to get in to to get to these treatments. Um, that is a very true thing. Money grants you access, and if you are not a very rich person, like the majority of us, then you have to use the tools that are at your disposal, and you have to be right. scrappy as hell. Right. And you know, um, my husband and I say this all the time. 
well, the just the the rat kid hasn't got this disease yet. If you know, just the rat person's kid were to get this disease, like it would be done. You know, we'd have this figured out. But sometimes Grant and I'll look at each other and we'll think, no, we're gonna be the rat. This is, you know, that we're gonna do this. We can be. We don't have this kind of money, but maybe Elon is the rat kid because we are that scrappy and we are willing to fight when we need to. And and post everything on social media while doing it, I guess. Yeah, right, right, yeah. I mean, oh, you you are brave, and I'm th- I, I thank you for for sharing your story and just being so transparent and honest. I think you know these conversations are the way that we start to understand each other's lives in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. Yes. And that is that is the beauty. It's the beauty of social media. I think that it gives us a gateway to a bigger conversation, like the conversation you and I get to have today. Yes. Well, I'm so thankful for you for for allowing me to tell Elon's story. Well, I'm thankful for you for coming on. So we're just in a big gratitude soup right now. Is it Thanksgiving? Okay. I know. I know. Tell people how they can follow you and learn more. So I'm at Amanda Ray Byerly on Instagram. I don't have a TikTok or anything like that. It's basically just Instagram. Um, and so you can reach me there. I also write for um, Static Media. I'm a freelance writer. And so I do that um, by day. And I guess at night now, I'm trying to figure out how to save my kids' eyesight. Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But, but uh, probably during every minute of every day. Yes. 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 That is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Amanda's story. When we first did our episode on moms posting sick kids, I, I had a lot of questions and I was skeptical. And I'm so glad that we got to see the other side of this. There's often very little that we can say is right or wrong, and a lot exists in the gray area of social media. And that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about that gray area. Thanks for being here today. I appreciate all of you. Go do something nice for yourselves. You deserve it.